Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark. This is an original episode recorded with my father, Jeff Clark. Uh, it's on wishful thinking and it features Oprah Winfrey back when she was still on TV. And The Secret. Remember that book, The Secret? Anyway, need I say more? This one will be quite frustrating but also quite amusing. Enjoy. Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark, and I'm joined again today back in the pod with my father, Jeff. Hi, Theo. And after a week in absentia, um, Jeff is back, so we're going to do our usual, um, which is a look at a particular fallacy with some examples, and the fallacy we're going to look at uh, is called Argument to Consequences, and specifically we're going to look at one variant of that, wishful thinking. Consequences. Other terms and or related concepts, argument to repercussions, appeal to fear, swinging the big stick, wishful thinking. And our description, the classic version of this fallacy, is the common case where an advocate will not entertain the possibility that an opponent's argument is correct, because if it is correct, there will be adverse consequences. Example, Margaret Chemise says to Claude Nads, I was reading about a sociologist who has found that there are differences in the average intelligence of different racial groups. She found this out by conducting what she claims was a culturally neutral IQ test. Claude responds, Well, she must have got it wrong. There isn't an average difference in IQ between different races of people because if there was, it would allow bigots to justify their racism. Our comment on the example... When delusional advocates believe something to be true or false because they want it to be true or false, an argument to consequences is involved. When they are hopeful for a positive consequence, they are engaging in a particular version of argument to consequences called wishful thinking. In the example given above, however, Claude invokes an argument to adverse consequences. He reasons that Differences in IQ between racial groups must not exist because if they did exist, it would adversely affect race relations. In doing so, he is making an unjustifiable assertion. He would be better off addressing his core concerns about race relations by engaging in subtle and complex arguments about a whether or not culturally neutral IQ tests can ever be constructed and b whether statistically significant differences between populations are relevant to public policy. In the end, there may be an argument for not conducting IQ tests across racial and cultural groups, but there cannot be a recent argument for simply declaring a priori that there are no differences in IQ. The key factor here is not whether the proponent agrees or disagrees with a study, assertion, argument, proposition or conclusion because of what it says. It is the quality of the reasoning behind the argument or disagreement, why it says it, that is important. If the reasoning boils down to a general case of the following form, 
X cannot be true because it ought not to be true, or Y must be true because it ought to be true, then the wishful non-thinker is wallowing in the fallacy and fantasy world of the argument to consequences. A pernicious form of the argument to consequences fallacy occurs when researchers engaged in some form of advocacy research in the social sciences assume that results which do not agree with their cherished hypothesis cannot be true. The individual in such circumstances is forced to contemplate a very unpleasant proposition, which might be put as follows. My career to date has been based on false assumptions, and I have therefore wasted years of diligent effort. Under such circumstances, the temptation is for the delusioned advocacy researcher to assume some methodological fallacy rather than to seriously question his or her hypothesis. Disillusioned and desperate researchers redesign and repeat their research until they obtain the desired result. Failed surveys or experiments are not, of course, published in the literature. Rather, they are discarded and not ultimately reported to the research community. This phenomenon is sometimes known as publication bias. Publication bias means that from time to time the corpus of knowledge in a particular discipline is distorted. If at first you don't succeed, try and try again is probably not an advisable precept for a researcher who claims to be a disinterested seeker after truth. Okay, so that was the argument to consequences. And just a, a couple of points that it's worth, um, since we've got a few different examples in the book there, and so it's worth um, you know talking about some of them a little bit, I think. Uh, in particular, the first bit where we're talking about the um, question of IQ tests and you know um, racial intelligence and all those kinds of things, which obviously can be a really sticky issue for people, and fair enough. Let's just say, for example, that it was the case that that happened to be true. Now, if that's a fact then you can't just wish it away. However, if that is a fact, and I, you know, I, I kind of think who cares either way, because you treat people as individuals anyway, but you can't derive any kind of moral, uh, reasoning from a fact. You, you, so I, it's called the naturalistic fallacy or is ought fallacy, where you've got something is that way, therefore it ought to be that way. Well, no, you, again, it, that makes no difference in terms of, you know, whether you hire people or whatnot what you do is you look at people as individuals. And so to even if it turned out to be the case, which is why people hate that kind of research, because they think it would justify some kind of different differential treatment to different groups, it simply it doesn't. It's just a fact, and, and you can't derive any kind of values from a, from a fact itself. Values inform what facts you look at, sure, but a fact is a fact. The other thing that um, I think of when I um, hear any controversy about IQ tests and race is that... Um, the the uh, white European race, which is really the often the target of such uh, of uh, any vilification for carrying out such tests, the, the conclusions they usually come up with is that the Asian races are um, in fact more intelligent mm. uh, in inverted commas uh, than the white Europeans. So you, you couldn't come straight out and say it's a white supremacy kind of plot to conduct these sort of tests because usually the results are that. And and we all we probably all recall being at university, uh, and how often the the university medals and the highest accolades played out. And also, if you look at the results from high school, the tertiary entrance type tests, uh, we can see the way they play out, and they don't play out evenly across the races. And uh, 
It's certainly not the white European race. That yeah, and there's no doubt there's going to be a lot more factors in it than just, just kind of any innate thing anyway. There's going to be cultural factors and things like that. So in which countries is education more valued and things like that. So Singapore regularly um, destroys most other countries in international testing and maths and science and things like that. Um, I think then maybe the Netherlands is probably the only kind of European country that regularly beats everybody. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, research going to those kinds of things and, and a lot of it is just simply the cultural factors at play as well. And, but again, even if it turned out to be the case, the other thing with all this stuff I find really funny, it's like to do with, um, you know, sexism and all like, and racism and all those kinds of things is by putting yourself in a group and then kind of taking credit for the, what that group has done. And I'm reminded of a clip from The Simpsons, which now I think I'll have to insert here. All this hoo-ha about girls and men is silly. Women are as smart as men. Why, a woman invented liquid paper. Well, you know what a man invented? Actual paper. Well, a woman also invented the windshield wiper. Which goes great with another male invention, the car. Um, I think a woman came up with nylon stockings. I mean, probably. We certainly use them. Let's see, men also have rocket ships, suspension bridges, constitutional government, no shoes, brass knuckles, pinball machines, the renaissance, Oh, why did women invent sleeping on the couch? The whole idea that he is a man is taking kind of some kind of credit or feeling like he that that's some kind of accomplishment he's done. You know, he's talking about the Renaissance as being something done by men, but it's like big deal. What have you done? So that's what I would say to people like that. If you're when people get into those kind of pointless arguments, especially to do with sex, I'd just say, well, what have you actually done? You know, because it's you as an individual is is the the thing that you should be judged on, not what particular ethnic or um, sex group you happen to lie in. Yes, I, I I almost always repudiate that connection between my group, whatever group it might be, and and great achievement and so on, with a, a single exception which has come up today, uh, and that is um, an Australian has just won the highest award for bravery, um, the Victoria Cross, mm. and. Uh, of course, um, I am also brave, and this is, ev- <laughs> and this is it's evidence. It's essentially of it. you. Essentially, you got that medal. Well, I could have got that medal, you know, if, if I'd, I'd won. If you had the chance, uh, and an Aussie and an ex-soldier, and if I'd have been thirty years younger, I could have got that medal for sure. I feel the same about sporting achievements, actually, in the cricket, except for when they lose. But IQ, no, no. I'm happy to leave the Asians basking in their glory, yep. knowing that I'm smarter than Everybody. a lot of Asians. Yeah. Well, no, no, I'm a smart. Even on the stats, if I was an average Australian, yep. uh, European, I'd be smarter than still a lot of Asians, even though Asians are smarter on average. Mm. Uh, so, you know, when you walk past a person in the street, you, I, I just look at their faces and they're usually dull. <laughs> um, they're, they're looking at the ground, their shoulders are hunched, some of them, their knuckles are dragging on the ground, and I say, yep, smarter, yep, smarter, yep, smarter. You know, as I, go past, I, I do the maths. I, 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 I have ne- I've never met someone face-to-face who was actually smarter than me. I don't know where these stats come from. You know, I don't think I do particularly well on an IQ test, but there you are. If, to get back to that, you know, a bit off topic from the actual point, but, but the, you don't... Was that an implied criticism of your father? Just watch it, young man. <laughs> No, you, the penny drops took you a while, a bit slower. Um, no, but the the point is, yeah, you, you, just because you happen to belong in a particular, you know, ethnic group or whatnot, like what's that? Got, you are an individual, so treat people as individuals. Like when I used to get, you know, interviewed for jobs at boys' schools or girls' schools, and they say differences between boys and girls, I go, well, yeah, there's on on average there's a different group, 
different differences, but as a teacher, you've got to get to know the individual students because they're all unique in the way they learn, and of course that goes down a treat with interviews. I'm very good in an interview if you hadn't have guessed. Um, but so the the real thing I want to um, uh, look at. Um, there's a couple other ones too. There's the kind of moral argument to consequences where you twist the data to suit a particular moral outcome. So that's that's so that's you know again kind of like um, stacking the deck and things like that. But the justification for it, the people use is oh well, but the consequence is good. So you hear people use that all the time with um you know polemicists in politics and things like that. Oh, well, their side lies, so I've got to lie too. It's like well, is your case so weak? that you have to make up stuff or that you can't be completely honest. So, you know, they have an anomaly in data and they might ignore that because it's not going to fit the overall pattern. But, of course, in, in real science or, you know, if you're doing it properly, if you get an anomaly, what you do is you get more data and then the anomaly disappears in, in the amount of data you get and so on. So, you know, as long as the data is good. Um, but the most pernicious, I think, uh, of that you kind of get in terms of the argument of consequence in the in everyday world is is wishful thinking, um, where people, you know, wish something was true um, and think that's how the world works or think that that's what's going to happen. Of course, the um, most popular one in the last probably, you know, couple of years would be the, the secret. Uh, and that became hugely popular, especially when the delightful uh, Oprah Winfrey decided to publicise it and with that in mind, let's have a listen to Oprah talking about The Secret right now. What could be number one? I was really very excited about it because basically the message of The Secret is the message that I've been trying to uh, uh, share with the world on my show for the past 21 years. The message is that you're really responsible for your life. You are responsible for your life. I've known this. I've known this since in 1985. I did the color purple. Prior to that, I had read the book, Larry. Now, this is a. This is when I got the secret thing, but I didn't know it was called the secret. I read the book, The Color Purple, and then went out and got books for everybody else I knew, and I was obsessed about this story, obsessed about it. I ate, slept, thought all the time about the color purple. I moved to Chicago. I get a call from a casting agent asking, would I like to come and audition for a movie? I've never gotten a call in my life from anybody for a movie or anything like that. And I say, is it The Color Purple? And he says, no, it's a movie called Moonsong. And I go, well, I've been praying for The Color Purple. And I go to the audition, and of course it was The Color Purple. I audition. I don't hear anything for months. And I go to this, this fat farm, and I think it's because I'm fat, because I was about 200 and... 12 pounds at the time and I think I didn't get the call back because I'm so fat and I'm at this fat farm and I'm praying and crying saying to God help me let this go because I wanted to be in this movie so much I wanted it I wanted it, I wanted it I thought I was going to be in the movie there's all these signs that I should be in the movie and I go to this fat farm and I'm praying and crying and as I'm on the track singing the song I surrender all I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. I'm singing that song, praying and crying. A woman comes out to me, and she says, on the track, it's raining, and she says, there's a phone call for you. And the phone call was Steven Spielberg saying, I want to see you in my office in California tomorrow. Now, what I learned from that, it, that moment absolutely changed my life forever, because I had drawn the color purple into my life. I didn't know Steven Spielberg. 
I didn't know Quincy Jones, who saw me in Chicago in 1984. He was he was there for a lawsuit that was being filed against Michael Jackson because he'd been working on his his thriller album. And he saw me on AM Chicago and said, that's Sophia. Now, I didn't know him. I didn't know anybody that had anything to do with that. But I knew that I had drawn that into my life, and it changed the way I thought about my life forever. So you're not surprised at the success of The Secret? I am. I'm thrilled for the, the success of The Secret. I think that uh, the message needs to go further because I think the mistake that was made with The Secret is that they tried to uh, they don't know who they are, that they tried to let that be the answer to all questions. It's not the. It's just one law. The law of attraction is one law. There are many laws working in the world, but it is very true that the way you think creates reality for yourself. There are other factors going on. So it's not everything, but you really can change your own reality based on the way that you think. Okay, yeah, so that was good old Oprah and Larry King. What a surprise, Larry King again. Um, the thing I just want to... To talk about specifically with the wishful thinking, then we'll, then we'll look at her whole story. But was just as she said at the end, there was the way you think creates your own reality. So that's specifically the wishful thinking. Now, if she literally means reality, as in the actual physical world, and then your thoughts can affect that. Then that is so obviously of the fallacy of wishful thinking. If she means in the way you perceive reality, in the psychological way you perceive it, then of course I'm happy to agree with that. And the bits about the secret I don't mind are the idea that will just be positive in your outlook and when an opportunity comes you'll see it and you'll take it. Um, or you'll make the most of it or you'll learn how to get through, deal with hardship a bit better. But they actually say if you wish for something you will get it. Um, and so it's just, it's just, and, and moreover, the secret is with one of the biggest criticisms people have against it is it's all, a lot of the time it's just about material things anyway. I, I think also, um, there, there's another line of evidence on this and it's, uh, it comes from a, um, a movie with Jim Carrey in it. Jim Carrey? Maybe not. Um, the bumper sticker sh- happens. That's, <laughs> no, that's, that's Tom Hanks. Wish- that's Tom Hanks, yeah. Oh, Tom, um, Tom. That's, uh, what's it called? Forrest Gump. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, shit happens if you stick that bump that on your bumper. Now that's some wishful thinking, I guess. It's it's um, but it, it's more true probably than what Oprah is uh, suggesting here. That if you wish hard, it's kind of what you tell children, is too, isn't it's it? Exa- when you well, think about it, that'll be the next clip we'll see. Is exactly that too. <laughs> it, it, but it is, you know, mm. it, it it's sort of when your children are growing up, you feel sorry for them constantly as they, enc- they encounter reality. Mm. You try and protect them from reality and nurture them and so on, but occasionally, like the baddie, will get away with it, or yeah. you know, um, the teacher will pick on them when it wasn't really their fault, and you've got to got to kind it's of it's always their fault. Yeah, <laughs> hop, hop. and and you've got to kind of say, in effect, it happens. You yeah. Know? Um, and oh, that's, that, that's the, the best outlook on life to have is just go. It happens. Roll with it. But yeah, the yeah. thing, the other thing I want to talk about there with that specifically is okay. These all these amazing coincidences have happened to her, and she, of course, reads something into me. And she's very religious too. Now, the thing, there's a couple of points to make. A, you can't really trust your memory from 20 years ago. So what what happens is, and all of the literature and psychology demonstrates this conclusively, including doing experiments on people where you can actually give them false memories and so on. But what people do is they elaborate 
any stories and coincidences to make a better story. Not deliberately, it's unconscious. So that certainly is a possibility with what happened to her. But the other possibility is simply that there are, you know, at that stage, let's say 200 million people in America. One person got that role. So to her, it feels amazing and like the universe gave it to her. But what about all the other people that wanted that role and didn't get it? Very simple thought experiment. How many other people went for that role and didn't get it? And where are they now? Was that because they didn't wish hard enough or they didn't want it hard enough? So she feels special because she's the one at the top. But somebody had to be the top. It just happens to be her. I know what happens to people who didn't get the role. They all went out and bought a bumper sticker. It said <laughs> happens. Absolutely. <laughs> but the, and, and there's a good example of it. I'll see if I can find it. So I'll edit this out if I can't find it, but hopefully I will find it with um, the magician Darren Brown, where he basically uh, comes up with a, 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 a way of always winning on the horse races, he says to people. And um, he then gets them all to, you know, to his betting system. And he gets a woman at the end and she comes up at the end and she's like, oh, it's amazing, this system. I've bet on 10 horse races and won every single one of them in a row. But what he did was he had sent out the system to, you know, like a thousand different people. And out of those thousand, one of them got 10 in a row right. The rest of them didn't. But she didn't know about the other 999 people. So she thought it was amazing, this brilliant system. And it worked for her because she was the one person that it worked for. But it didn't work for anybody else. And it was just happened to be her. You can do. I've done the same experiment in class when I do probability, where you have a coin flipping competition, and always one kid will come out the winner out of the whole class. But could have you predicted who that was beforehand? No, it's just chance. It had to happen to somebody. So in that case, it had someone had to become you know a talk show host and win that movie, and it just happens to be Oprah. So she thinks her life's blessed. But I wonder what she thinks about all the people starving in the world or living in gutters and whatnot. Was they were they just uh, not wishing listen, hard listen enough? Listen, Theo. I just can't let you get away with that bad-mouthing of people that sell racing systems. Yeah. As I said to a friend of mine, Jack Bayless, who may be mentioned occasionally in this series, the people that sell racing systems are the most altruistic people in the world. They could continue using their racing system That's right. and get personally very, very, mm. very rich, and yet they sell the racing system to other people. Now, if they're successful, then their racing system won't produce the same sort of odds. I, I can't understand why people have it against people who sell racing yeah, systems. They're being altruistic, they, that's right. they are the most altruistic giving people in the world. All right, well, I take it back. I, I apologise, but but yeah, no, and that's so that's the, the another example. There's so people will hear that anecdote from Oprah and go, oh, "Wow, you know, it's so amazing." But the thing is. Someone had to rise to the top. It just happens to be her. And so, of course, that individual feels special and they were looking for the coincidences in their life that made that happen. And then, of course, you know, the veracity of that story is questionable unless you wrote it all down at the time. You really can't trust the order things happened or the significance of them either. Hello? Okay, Dad, how are you? Good. Um... Yeah, no, I was just uh, in the middle of editing the, mixing the podcast. Yeah. And um, I was listening to that bit with Oprah again. Yeah. And I just had to whinge to somebody about it because she's just unbelievable. Like, she's actually talking about, you know, how everything lined up, the universe lined up for her to get that part. Yeah. Yeah. And what an amazingly vile and, like, egotistical and self-centered woman she actually is when it comes down to it. She gives away lots of money and all that kind of thing, so yeah. everyone thinks she's really lovely and nice. But when you actually listen to that anecdote properly, it's all about her. Has she ever even stopped and thought once about the other people that didn't get that part? Yeah, and how the universe 
if you follow her argument, the university side just screw them over. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, so I'd love to get the other, you know, find out who are the other 50, you know, people that auditioned for that part. Yeah. Get them in the room with Oprah and have them tell have her have them tell her their lives. Yeah, and you know, hopefully, you know, well, not hopefully, but you know, no doubt, some of them have had crappy lives or whatever. Yeah. and see if Oprah's still prepared to say that. Well, no, what she do? She say, oh well, you brought that on yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you do, yeah. you weren't positive enough. I was more positive. Yeah, and so it doesn't matter what good she does. It's all about her own ego in a way, yeah, and yeah. it's um. You know, taints everything she does. But I thought that was an especially vile aspect of that interview when you actually, you know, you think what a lovely story it is. She was singing in the rain and yeah, yeah. the Lord was with her and stuff like that. But yeah. it's all about her. Yeah. So how about we take another perspective? Yeah, she's a mad egotist. And, uh, I mean, she's mentally deranged. Mm. Uh, you know, by, uh, and, but, but it, it's, it's a mental derangement that lends itself to the media. If you don't think of those things, and this is where critical thinking comes in, uh, the what if, the what if, um, mm. type mentality allows you to see those anomalies, you know? Yep. And imagine if the interviewer or the fellow was talking to her and with his hand on his chin and in rapt attention said, but what about the other hopefuls at that time? Yeah. <laughs> We've got forty nine of them backstage right now. Well, yeah. And and one of one of them's coming in a coffin because she's committed suicide. Yeah. <laughs> but that I mean that that's the thing, like her view of the universe is from her own egocentric perspective. It's and that's right. And it's certainly when you read about most um ethicists and so on, they say you should take a universal standpoint when you're trying to evaluate what's going on, i.e. what's the point of view from the universe. Yeah. And so from the point of view of the universe, this is metaphorical of course, the universe, you know, she is no different than anyone else, no more worthy, no less worthy. Yeah. Um uh, but the way she write the way those people talk about it, it's like they're more worthy because they have wished for it harder. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, the main thing I thought, you know, she, again, if you're just watching on the surface layer, you think, what a lovely story. Wow, she made stuff happen in life. How amazing is she? Yeah. But then you di- you think about it a little bit deeper and you go, oh, hang on a sec. Yeah. You know, what? It, actually, she's really quite... Her, her unconscious egoism is really quite vile when you think of it. She's completely unaware of her own um, ego. Yeah. Well, I mean, it comes across when she, when she interviews people. It's always about her. She has some kind of anecdote. Whatever yeah. they tell, she's got an anecdote that's, you know, even better or worse for her, you know. And so. she'd be insulated because she'd be surrounded with people that stroke that ego all the time. Oh, of course. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. it's sad, you know, if anybody asking her, it's lots of questions. Well, they literally, like, they, I think she literally believes she's, you know, being put on here on the earth by the Lord to do special yeah. work and it's her special privilege and that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. And it's not done with any real actual humility. Well, if anybody looks at any complexity at social issues, you know, you can see that if, yeah, farmers praying for rain in one part of the world and, and, and or in one, one part of the country and praying for cessation of the flooding in another part. Um, you, you've got problems of boundaries, you know, mm. that, that um, one man's drink or food is another man's poison, that kind of yeah. thing. That, that it, it's the same as interventions in conflict, you know, that... that um, there's always going to be losers when other people are sort of j- jumping up and shouting, you know, the Lord was on our side. Yeah, on, yeah. And, uh, Actually, in, not in terms of conflicts, but that reminds me of when Brazil won the World Cup in soccer and they were interviewing Ronaldo about it. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, because they all stood around praising Jesus and whatnot. And the interview actually said to them, so did God want you to win? Why didn't God want the other teams to win? And, and he said, because yeah. we prayed more and we're more religious and we're more we're better believers, we have better faith than they do. Yeah. So yeah. some people, that argument actually holds water that, oh, yeah. we're more holy, we're, we're more worthy than they are. Mm-hmm. You know, but anyway, that's Ronaldo who said he wanted to win a Nobel Peace Prize was his next mission. Oh, yeah. yeah. Didn't say how he was going to do it, he just wanted yeah. to win one. So yeah. another egoist at work. <laughs> Well, yeah, he's got a good chance with uh, all some of the other people that won it. You know, yeah, well, that's right. It's been, been a bit tainted, so do you really actually want one? <laughs> yeah, that's Yeah, I'd take it. I'd take the money, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Anyway, I just had to have a whinge. And Jeff didn't know that I was recording that conversation, so, Dad, this will be a nice surprise for you in the podcast. Sorry if you get upset or anything. I think the best response to The Secret uh, I'll leave to the um, satirical show that was run in Australia on the ABC here um, called The Chaser, and they, you know, satire wins hands down every time. So we'll have a listen to The Chaser's take on um, The Secret, or as they call it, Nutjob of the Week. Welcome to Nut Job of the Week. Now, this is a brand new segment where we take a look at the special people in our society. People who have what you might call alternative views. Yes, and uh, this week we're diving headfirst into the phenomenon of The Secret, which has become the fastest selling self help book of all time and which Channel 9 has now made into a best selling DVD as well. And who said Scientology was the only quack belief Jamie Parker has time for? Now, this thing has gone absolutely huge Massive. all over the world. But, Chris, how does it actually work? I'm very glad you asked that, Chaz, because basically, the secret is the law of attraction. Apparently, it works like this The law of attraction is really obedient. When you think of the things that you want, and you focus on it with all of your intention. The law of attraction will give you what you want every time. Stare at something long enough and soon it shall be yours. It sounds so simple. Simple for you, maybe. I've been staring at jewelry shops all bloody week and I've got bugger all the show for it. Where's my necklace? That is a very negative attitude, Chaz. You need to think more positively. It's all up here in the mind. You need to visualise it up in your head, just like this guy, David Shermer, does. I would visualise a car space exactly where I want it, and 95% of the time it would be there for me, and I'd just pull straight in. So I do that all the time. Wow. A guaranteed car space every day just by visualising it. Now that has got to be worth a try. Oh dear, there's no parking spots anyway. Stuff this. Let's do it. the secret just yet. In fact, let's study the process a bit more closely now. 
The first step is to ask. You make a command to the universe. The universe responds to your thoughts. Step two is believe. Believe that it's already yours, believing in the unseen. Your wish is my commandment. I know like I know like I know that it's on its way. Step three and the final step in the process is to receive. Begin to feel wonderful about it. Feel the way you will feel once it arrives. Feel it now. I get it now. I get it now. You ask and you believe and then you receive the bite from the old pedophile. <laughs> Okay, so that was the Chase's uh, satirical take on The Secret, and of course that, you know, again, satire always does such a good job. Um, the whole clip for that's actually seven minutes, so obviously I'll skip bits out of it. I'll put the YouTube link up, and you really need to watch it so you can actually see what they do, and it's it's bloody hilarious. Um, but yeah, from, I mean, hearing, from hearing what goes on, I, I gather they steal stuff from shops. Yeah, they actually go into shops and steal stuff and say, they say it's ours. They, they're on the street and they're staring at a car and saying, "Get out of our car" and stuff like that. <laughs> but the best bit is when they crash the car in the car park. It's hilarious. But anyway, you need to, you really should go and have, watch it. I'll put the, um, I'll embed the YouTube clip on the website. But I mean, the the, the whole point of the secret is. I don't have a problem when they're saying just having a positive outlook on life and then if you're using it metaphorically, you attract good things to you because basically life is made up of, you know, you've got predisposition for your genes and also, you know, and then your um, kind of upbringing can affect you and whatnot. In terms of your outlook, you've got, there's a lot of evidence towards your um, psychology is depends on your diet, when you, your mother's diet, when you're young and so on in terms of, um, you know, whether you're more predisposed to depression and things like that. That's fine. And then life's made up of random events that happen to you. And then how you deal with them a lot of the time depends on your attitude. And so having a positive attitude, that's great. But to actually think there's a real physical effect out there in terms of the universe, or as Oprah thinks, thinking about it actually changes your actual reality is literally completely absurd. Um, and it's actually a really, when you follow the obvious conclusion going the opposite direction, which is you bring bad things into your own life, then it's actually a completely immoral message to give to people as well, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Theo, one thing is uh, I, I, I had a look at folk sayings when I was lecturing to my students about some topic or other and um, got a huge number of folk sayings also from different languages that really were very positive messages. And, and they, they are what you're talking about. The, uh, the, the sayings like... Um, Every cloud has a silver lining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if one door shuts, another door opens. Um, uh, tomorrow is another day. Um, it never rains, but it pours. Those kinds of folk sayings um, are a kind of wisdom in a way that's grown up through human experience. Yeah, psychological says, wisdom. Which says that you cast your mind forward to the next day when you've had a bad experience and you do visualise or entertain the possibility of, of the next day being a good day, and in so doing, you're actually all, all you're being is mentally healthy. Mm. And it's, you're not trying to manipulate, manipulate the universe. Um, you're actually trying to change your outlook. Your own mental universe. state. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah and that that's fine. But when they actually say, you know, they literally show a little kid wishing for a bike and then his dirty old pedophile grandfather gives him a bike, you know. And and, and the other clip bits of the clip, you know, a guy wishing for money and all this kind of stuff. So it's very um uh materialistic as well, which is you know, is a general philosophy for life, I think, is pretty uh unhelpful as well. Um yeah, but anyway, so that was uh, wishful thinking, and um, so the main thing again with wishful thinking is just because you'd like it to be that way, it doesn't mean it is that way. So what? So in that in that sense, um, you know, when people use it that way, like Oprah's, it's obviously a complete fallacy. Argument to consequences. There's different versions of that. I've got a few different examples on the um, on the website. So one other thing, uh, we still don't have a review on iTunes. And I'm I'm not going to speak about it again after this. Well, I probably will. But the reason why I really like to get a review on iTunes is actually what it does is if you know, it actually can help get your um, podcast promoted on iTunes. Um, in terms of um, when you open up the iTunes store, you can actually you know see the podcast and so on. Now I realise my mistake, of course, after reading um, the book Free Economics and learning a bit about economics. The one word I need is incentive. And to give uh, our listeners out there an incentive to anyone with an iTunes account to give us a review, um, we're going to hold a little competition. Now, it's not exactly an Oprah-type prize. Um, the prize for this competition is an actual paperback uh, copy of the book Humbug. And what we want to do is the following, is that if we get three reviews, or once we get like three reviews on iTunes, you know, given the number of downloads we're now getting, that shouldn't be too hard, um, the review that we decide we like the best, we will give uh, send out a copy of the book to. Now, the best does not mean just telling us how good we are, though. You Although know, flattery, or flattery wouldn't go. No, astray. it won't hurt, obviously. But what it, you know, reviews that are useful on iTunes are ones that actually tell people about the show. And so, you know, i.e., like, why did I listen to this show? What do I like about it? You know, what don't I like about it? But let's try to stick to the stuff you do like. Let's let's be positive. But the other thing, of course, is send me an email of your comment before you put it on iTunes because I need to know that it is that you know I need your email address and I need to know that it's definitely from you. I don't want someone to you to post a review on iTunes and then someone else sees that review and just types it up and emails it to me. So email it to me first before you put it on iTunes. And so my email address is Theo, so that's one word, Theo.Clarks, so T-H-E-O dot C-L-A-R-K at skepticsfieldguide.net. If you click on my profile anywhere on the website, you'll find the email address. Um, so it really does make a difference if you give us a review. If you like our podcast, just go on there and give us a review because um, it can help get us promoted and that can mean more people listen to it. And if you're one of the first three, you could score yourself a free copy of the paperback edition of the book. Uh, can I say, Theo, to, it's better to think damn good and then say why it's damn good rather than saying something like the best podcast in the history of the world. Mm. Because although one is clearly strong, more strongly favourable than the other, um, it's it, we we have a credibility problem yeah. too. If it's just too extreme, that's right. Yeah. It just looks as though you're uh, trying to smooch us in order to get a copy of the book. Yeah, that now, that's what I mean. Uh, I want a helpful. It has review. to be credible. Yeah. It yeah. has to be credible. But also, and and you know, the main the I, the thing I, I like hearing too is like why like certainly other podcasts I listen to like the Skeptics Guide to the Universe and Skeptic Zone and all those ones, um, skepticality and and you know some of the um. Uh, the science ones, like the Guardian Science one and all that, is when people actually say why they listen to it and, you know, what they like about it. 
and um, if it's made a difference in their lives or helped them clarify their thinking about different issues. So, yeah, anything like that's always fantastic. So that's the kind of criteria we're looking for. So, yeah, if you'd like a free paperback copy that we'll post out here free of charge, um, don't care where you live, you can be in China, Scandinavia. Um, we just got someone from South Africa the other day. I know this looking at the stats. Uh, so all over the shop. So shout out to shout out to you all. Hopefully it'll just be someone in Brisbane. If you live in Brisbane, I will hand deliver you the copy if you happen to live in Brisbane, okay? But otherwise... Unless, unless you're a stalker of some kind. And uh, I, I will be hovering in the background while Theo delivers the hand copy to you with um, my um, walking stick over my shoulder ready to strike you. Yeah, if it I have actually had a stalker you, before. You, it's not fun. You are, <laughs> you are an actual stalker. And by the way, good one, Thea. Mentioning all, all those other websites, I'll probably go to those now. No, mate, if they're, list, if they're listening to comparison. us, they're already listening to those other ones, okay? <laughs> we're, we're but a small oh, fish yeah, in a big yeah. ocean. you got a point there. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so, yeah, so so use that incentive. Now, the, I did forget, actually, to mention one thing about the secret that uh, maybe I should change my mind up because the other day, you know, I was um, out... A couple of podcast episodes ago, I was talking to my friend Ben, and so I used uh, my phone to record the conversation. So I think that was like podcast 13 or 12. And, you know, the audio quality was crap, and I was wishing and hoping to get a decent recorder. And then someone I worked with, shout out to you, David, he had a really good high-quality one, and so that's how I recorded my um, podcast with Ben last week, using his excellent one and, and with the Psychic. And, you know, so I put that out there, and I got one. And then... Now I've got my own Sony one just as of the end of the week, my own digital voice recorder, a Sony one at the end of the week. The, I asked for the, the universe to give it to me, and the universe gave me one. So thank you, universe, whoever or wherever you are. And by the way, by thank you, universe, sorry, Dad, I mean thank you to you. Uh, no worries, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and you can expect more high-quality audio recordings. Um, but, yeah, and, and in saying that, the universe gave us a good discount at the Sony store in Brisbane too, so I'll big them up big time. Anyway, okay, <laughs> enough um, self-flagellation. Is that the right word? No, no, we're doing the opposite. We're self... Well, self the old word is wanking. Yeah. <laughs> the old word is wanking, but I don't use like using quasi-obscenities. No, so. I think that's still a new word, so... <laughs> Okay. Things to work. Okay. All right. Anyway, so there you go. So if you'd like to get a free copy of the uh, actual paperback edition, get on iTunes, write us a review. Anyway, until next week, you can listen to Country Humbug 101. Bye bye. So that was the original episode on wishful thinking with my father, Jeff. So the competition we talked about there for writing a review on iTunes is obviously now null and void because it was for when the first episode originally aired and the people who wrote the review got a copy of the book. Uh, feel free to, however, write the review on iTunes still anyway. Don't forget, uh, you can get a copy of Hunting Humbug 101. No, that's the name of the podcast. Don't forget you can get a copy of Humbug, the Skeptic's Field Guide to Spotting Fallacies and Deceptive Arguments, uh, the ebook from the website skepticsfieldguide.net for four bucks. Um, also, another plug for the Brisbane Skeptics who are hosting the Australian Skeptics National Convention. So if you go to um, the website convention.brisbaneskeptics.org, all the information you need there for the uh, National Convention uh, on October 16 to 18 is there. Should be good. Can't wait. I'm talking at the thing, so looking forward to it. All right, until another fortnight. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.